I hope you were blessed by those testimonies. As I was sitting in the back, it was pretty warm back there. But as I heard the testimonies, boy, I tell you, they were just inspiring. And so we have so much to thank the Lord for. And I hope that you will welcome each and every one of these young men uh, into the fellowship. How many of you are familiar with the phrase, the third time is a charm? All right. I'm sure many of you have heard that one over and over again. Maybe your parents said that to you as you're getting ready for your tests and your exams. Okay? And so what happens here is that the idea is that if you don't achieve something the first or second time you try it, wait for the third time because you'll pass it. You'll always achieve what you're trying to do. Now, here's the amazing thing. In the Bible, after three very rapid tries... The rebels against God's plan were not able to accomplish what they set out to do, which was to disrupt God's plans, purposes, and the people he chose to carry his plan out with. And so even as try as they might, as hard as they tried, they could not do it because God would not let them. Now, as we watch this unfold in the life of Moses, there's a lot of important biblical lessons that we need to learn. And so I hope that you'll join me in your Bibles to Numbers chapter 12. Numbers chapter 12, verses 1 to 16. And uh, what you find there is that uh, there's a series of events that happen which teach us an important lesson about God's leaders and God's people. And if we don't get that, we're somehow going to miss the boat. We will always be lost in a sense, a sea of confusion, a sea of dysfunction and other things. But if we get it right, the things that can happen will be just amazing. And so when we joined this journey, we're, the children of Israel had just left Egypt and they were living in the wilderness and they were journeying to the promised land. But the problem was this was growing to be quite a challenge. It was not an easy journey. It was just not a stroll in the park, so to speak. And as time went on, there were a growing number of complaints, a growing number of confrontations over such things as living conditions, food, and especially about God's appointed leaders, Moses and Aaron. It was in this kind of troublesome environment that we joined them in this journey. And so I hope that you'll begin to focus your attention on this and ask yourself, what is it that God wants me to learn today? What is it that God wants me to understand? And I'm sure that the Lord will answer that request. The attacks against God's appointed leaders were growing openly and more confrontational. First of all, there are three rebellions. There are three instances that are given to us. In chapter 12, there's one. In chapter 16 of the book of Numbers, there are two. So here's rebellion number one. And at the head of this are Miriam and Aaron. And if you're not familiar with who they are, Miriam was Moses' older sister. Aaron was his older brother. Now imagine this. It was his own family that was confronting him. And so they made accusations. For example, they... First, uh, the uh, first accusation was that Moses had married the wrong woman. Then Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Cushite woman whom he had married. For he had married a Cushite woman. And so this was their first accusation. Now, the problem with that is the Cushites were not on the no-marry list. 
They were not on the no marry list. And so Moses was quite within his bounds to marry a person from that group of people. But nevertheless, they pointed this out as if to try to uh, discredit him in some way. Now, the real reason comes out in verse 2. Look at verse 2. And it says, And they said, Has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us as well? And so this comes to real accusation. They were unhappy. They were unhappy. Moses at this point had been speaking for God, and they were just not having anything to do with that. And they said to them, Why is God only talking to Moses? God talks to me too. And you should listen to me as well. And so this was the accusation, the real accusation that they were making against Moses. Now, something in verse 3 really captures our imagination. This is Moses. He's hearing all this. And then he says in verse 3, Now the man Moses was very humble, more than any man who was on the face of the earth. And so Moses records for us his personal reaction his personal reaction, he didn't strike out. He didn't, uh, he didn't debate them right at that moment. But rather, he just responded and followed God's lead. Well, we can learn from this that challenges are constant companions of godly leaders. It doesn't matter whether you're leading a church, you're leading a family, you're leading a class, you're leading people at work, you're leading people. But the point is that you will constantly have challenges. But, Moses is to be commended because he followed God's lead. And this brings us to the vindication in verses 4 to 8. Moses does not take things into his own hands, but he allows God to take, deal with them. And that's what God does. In verses 4 to 5, God calls out Miriam and Aaron. He says, hey guys, we got to get this straight. We got to straighten this out right away. And God makes them especially aware of his special relationship with Moses. Now look at verses 7 to 8. He talks about the fact that, hey, if any prophet, I'm going to talk to him in dreams and things like that. But not my Moses. My Moses, I treat him very differently. Look at verse 7. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful to all my household. With him I speak mouth to mouth, even openly and not in dark sayings. And beholds the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant, my, against Moses? Great question. When you have a leader such as Moses, and of such caliber, and with such a precious relationship with God, how dare they speak to him in this way? And so this is what he, God was pointing out to them. And so, all of God's people should have and probably do have a close relationship with God, but especially those who are leaders. We have to have that close relationship with God. And that's what Moses had. That was his vindication, as it were. And then if you look at verses 9 through 13, you have the eviction. And the eviction involved God's anger. If you look at the first part of verse 9, so the anger of the Lord burned against them. Oh, that sounds pretty serious. It was not just that God was annoyed or God was irritated with their actions, but he was actually angry with them. 
And the Bible tells us it's an awful thing to fall into the hands of an angry God. And so when we think about this, it multiplies considerably. And so if you look at verses 11 through 13, you see what happens. Then Aaron said to Moses, O oh my Lord, I beg you, do not account the sin to us in which we have acted foolishly and in which we have sinned. Oh, do not let her be like dead whose flesh is half eaten away when he comes from his mother's womb. Verse 13, Moses cried out to the Lord saying, Oh God, heal her, I pray. What was he healing her of? Miriam had leprosy. And in those days, it was not treatable. In those days, it was an awful disease to have. It was very apparent. You, you, you tried to wear clothes to hide it, but you couldn't do it. People would know that you had leprosy. And so she was struck with it. But I was tr- extremely impressed that Moses, after the confession and after the pleads of Aaron, that he interceded on Miriam's behalf. That's the sign of a good leader. A good leader intercedes for his people. No matter what they do for him, against him or to him, he still has that heart for them. And he says to them, I intercede for you. Oh God, do not. He, I, oh God, heal her, he says. Well, she still had some consequences. So in verse 15, we're told that Miriam was banished for seven days outside the camp for her shameful rebelliousness. And that was the way that God dealt with this, is that he did not remove completely her consequences or her punishment, but rather he committed her outside the camp. And during that time, the people couldn't move because they waited for her. And so everybody's attention was drawn to her shameful behavior and rebelliousness. God's people should be wise to note that there is usually more than just one given reason for unhappiness. It's been my experience when people come to me and they say, I'm really unhappy. What are you unhappy about? Well, let me get the list out. You know, and they bring out this long list. And maybe the first 25 of the things on the list are just kind of superficial, you know, kind of. But then usually number 26, that's when it starts getting serious. This is when the real reason comes out. So good leaders remain just like Moses. They remain humble. They're ready to listen. They're ready to consider They're ready to admit and correct mistakes and ready to forgive and intercede. But they also must be courageous to act. And that was Moses. Moses did what he was supposed to do. He acted like a good leader. He interceded for her. And he kept on going and kept on doing what God asked him to do. So, let God be the one to take care of of these rebellions. God takes care of rebellion takes rebellion against his chosen leaders seriously. But I told you that there were two chapters we're going to cover. So the next chapter is number 16. Number 16. So turn in your Bibles to number 16. In number 16, there are two separate rebellions, okay? The first one was led by one individual and a few other people. The other one was much more serious. Let's tackle the first one. The first one is rebellion number two. And this is found in verses 1 to 40. Now, this will not make too much sense to you unless you understand what happened in numbers 13, 14, and 15. Because that sort of sets the backdrop. That sets the reason why these people were so upset. In numbers 13, God's people 
decide not to go into the promised land, although God tells them to do so and promises to be with them. This is the famous account of Caleb, remember? He was the one spy who came back and said, let's go take it. And the rest of the guys said, no way. Those guys are too big. <laughs> We're not going to go mess with these people, you see. So God clearly tells God's people, go take the promised land and I'll be with you. No, say no, we're not going to do that. Then in Numbers 14, the nation decides to grumble against Moses and Aaron again. And God, Moses intercedes and sees God's pardon for them, which the Lord does. But, but, in verses 28 to 35, God pronounces a judgment upon that generation. What was it? Well, they weren't going to see the land. If you look at chapter 14, chapter 14, verse 30, it says, Surely you shall not come into the land in which I swore to settle you, except Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, the son of Nun. Only two out of that whole generation would end up going into the land because they were the ones who were willing to follow the Lord and obey the Lord. But the rest of the generation wasn't. Now, do you see what's happening here? These people are remembering these events. And they're saying to themselves, we've got to get rid of these guys. We've got to do something. So then in verse 15, to add more pain to the whole thing, Moses gives out the first set of laws and commandments about how they're going to live in the land. And he gets this right from God. So it's like God is really putting his stamp on Moses. And he's saying, Moses, say this to the people. These guys were not ready for that. This generation was not. And so you had the challenge and you had the challengers in chapter 16, verses 1 to 3. The challengers was a fellow named Korah. He was a Levite. And this was the tribe that God had chosen to assist the priest. These were the, those that had, a, like a, as it were, a, a, a very privileged position. Because they were the ones who would be able to serve in the tabernacle. All right? Now, this is important. And then there was two other, three other fellows, Dathan, Abram, and On, on the tribe of Reuben. So, what this tells us was that this was not limited to one group of people. But rather, others had begun to join in this rebellion. If that weren't enough, Chapter, two, uh, chapter 16, verse 2 tells us that there were 250 leaders of the congregation. They were chosen men, they were chosen by the people, and they were men of renown. I thought that was really a cool description, men of renown. These people had some clout, and all 250 of them decided to throw their lot in with Korah. So they came up to him. And look at what they charged them with. This is their charging Moses and Aaron. Verse 3. They assembled together against Moses and Aaron and said to them, You have gone far enough, for all the congregation are holy, every one of them, and the Lord is in their midst. So why do you exalt yourselves above the assembly of the Lord? That sounds like a Baptist church. <laughs> you know? <laughs> it's not the same way. Why do you exalt yourself? You know, we're the congregation. This is a democracy and blah, 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 blah. You know, the arguments don't change. 
The arguments don't change. Faces change. Names change. But the motivations of people don't change. You see? And so Korah and his 250 plus cohort, they decide, hey, why is it that God only speaks through you? Why is it that you're leading us? What are we, chopped liver? You know, what's going on here? You see? And so this was their charge against him. Well, what happens after that is found in verses 4 to 40. First of all, Moses sets some conditions. Doesn't argue with them. He says, okay, you think that you should be leading. You think that you're holy and you think that God will accept you? Fair enough. He says then in verse 5, he says to them, uh, and he spoke to Korah and all his company saying, tomorrow morning the Lord will show who is his and who is holy and will bring him near to himself even the one whom he will choose, and he will bring near to himself. Basically, Moses says, okay, tomorrow we'll have a test, and we'll see who God accepts as his appointed leader. And sure enough, that's what was set to happen. But I'm really intrigued with what happens in verses 8 through 15, because Moses shows me something as a leader. In verses uh, Uh, 8 to 15, Moses reaches out to both groups. He reaches out to Korah, then he reaches out to Dathan and Abram, okay? On dropped out at this point. And so he says, he reminds Korah, he says, do you remember the special position that you have and stature in the community, in the congregation of Israel? You're a Levite, my friend. And so he tries to reason with him. You look at verses 8 to 10. Then Moses said to Korah, Hear now, you sons of Levi. Is it not enough for you that the God of Israel has separated you from the rest of the congregation of Israel to bring you near to himself, to do the service of the tabernacle of the Lord, and to stand before the congregation to minister to them? And that he has brought you near, Korah, and all your brothers, sons of Levi, with you. Are you not seeking for the priesthood? Also, it's as if Moses had some insight into the heart of Korah. And he says, Korah, you're not content with just being an assistant, being part of the team. You want to be a priest. You want to be the head of the band. You want to be up there and in front and leading everything. So he really nails Korah right at the very beginning. Then he communicates with Dathan and Abram. Now, here's the funny part. This, how they reacted. It says in verse 12, for example, it tells us that Moses summons them. Then Moses sent a summons to Dathan and Abram, the sons of Eliab. And they said, we will not come up, they said in verse 13. Is it not enough that you have brought us up out of the land flowing with milk and honey? Now, they're referring to Egypt. They're not referring to the promised land here. To have us die in the wilderness, but you would also lord it over us, he says. And he says, how long are you going to keep up this charade? Are you going to try and keep blinding us with all your tricks and everything? He says, that's a pretty serious charge. So first of all, he said, I'm not interested in talking to you. I'm not interested in talking to you. All I know is that you're trying to lord over us, and you're just taking us on a wild goose chase. Now, 
Verse 15 tells us that Moses was very angry. Of course, I would be too. Okay, and you would be too if people spoke to you in that tone and in that way. But nevertheless, God decides to conclude the matter, and Moses wisely lets him do so. And this starts with verse 16 to 40. And God's judgment falls on the rebels. In verses 21 through 24, we read this. And it says, separate yourselves from among this congregation that I may consume them instantly. This is God speaking to Moses. But they fell on their faces and said, O God, God of the spirits of all flesh, when one man sins, will you be angry with the entire congregation? What was it that Moses was asking? Moses was saying, because of the sin of just a few, you're going to wipe out the innocent as well as the guilty? Now, notice he put it in the form of a question. He didn't make it a statement because he was talking to God. (laughs) But he raises up the situation. He is interceding for the innocent, as it were. And so Moses intercedes for the innocent. And then what happens to Korah and the rest of them? Let's continue on. Verse 23. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the congregation, saying, Get back from around the dwellings of Korah, Dathan, and Abram, he says. And then if you drop down to verse 32 to 33, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up and their households and all the men who belonged to Korah with their possessions, so that they and all that belonged to them went down alive to Sheol, and the earth closed over them. They perished from the midst of the assembly, it says. What about those 250, those 250 uh, men of renown? Look at verse 35. Fire also came forth from the Lord and consumed the 250 men who were offering the incense. That was God's answer. The earth opened up, swallowed them, and the ones that were still above ground, he destroyed them with fire. You see? And that's a horrible judgment upon anybody, but especially upon this group of people. Now, One lesson that we can learn is that the rebellion involved those already serving the Lord, but who obviously wanted more, who desired more authority and prominence. Now, the problem here is that God had already appointed Moses. God had already decided who he would put in place. And so this became a contest between them and God. They were saying, hey, hey, we're better, we're qualified, throw us in there. The problem is, God didn't want them in there yet. It was God's choice. The desire for authority is always a desire of mankind. Korah versus Moses, Absalom versus David, even the disciples. Remember in Luke chapter 22, remember when they were fighting and they were saying, who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom? You know, everybody wants this. Pride, envy, Jealousy and the usual suspects are the usual suspects, and these can only lead to troubled times. James chapter 3, verse 16 through 18 says this. James chapter 3, verse 16. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder and every evil thing. And it says in verse 17, it says, But the wisdom from above is first pure, 
then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruit, unwavering without hypocrisy. And the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. That's a lesson for all of us, isn't it? First of all, don't mess with God's choices. <laughs> that would be the obvious. If God chooses you, that's fine. But if he doesn't, you better beware and wait your time. All right? And the second thing here is that it tells us that if we are going to work with people who are above us, that we need to work with them in a spirit of peace. Everyone should understand and accept their role using their gifts for God's plans and God's purposes. Okay? And so this is the lesson that's for us. God takes rebellion. In the first rebellion, God takes rebellion against his chosen leaders seriously. In the second rebellion, God takes rebellion against his chosen leaders very seriously. Okay? Very seriously. Now, I have to rush, so I'm going to move on to the third rebellion, verses 41 through 50. Now, you would think that God's people had learned their lesson. They had two visual aids to help them, right? What was the first one? The first one was Miriam with her leprosy, right? Okay, that's one visual aid. What was the second one? The second one was the earth swallowing up these guys and fire consuming the, the 250 that were on the earth. Two very distinct examples. You could not deny it. You could not explain them away. They happened, okay? Now, in this third one here, what we learn is that if there's one thing that history has taught us is that we never learn from history. <laughs> you know, why do you think the history of man keeps repeating itself? Because we never learn from the first time. And that's exactly what happened to the children of Israel. They didn't learn from the first time. So here we go. So uh, in 40, verse uh, 41 of chapter 16, verse 41, we have the charges that they level against uh, uh, Moses and Aaron. And what were those charges? If you look at verse uh, 41 here, okay? Verse 41, chapter 16. And it says, but the next day, all the congregation of the sons of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron, saying, you are the ones who have caused the death of the Lord's people. When's the last time you ever got accused of murdering somebody? All right? Some of you look like you have been. All right? So, so what happens is, that's what they did. They said, the one, Moses and Aaron, you're the ones that resulted in the death of uh, these uh, God's people here. And so, but they had forgotten what Moses had said in verses 28 through 30, 28 through 30, when he was laying out the conditions for this particular contest that they were having between them and God. And so Moses said, verse 28, by this you shall know that the Lord has sent me to do all these deeds. For this is not my doing. If these men die the death of all men, meaning natural death, or if they suffer the fate of all men, then the Lord has not sent me. But if the Lord brings about an entirely new thing, and the ground opens its mouth and swallows them up with all their, uh, that is theirs, and they shall descend alive into Sheol. Then you will understand that these men have spurned the Lord. Have spurned the Lord. Isn't it like us as human beings? 
we try to find ways to justify our actions. And one of the simplest ways is to blame somebody else. Isn't that right? It's your fault. It's your fault that these people died. But Moses has said right from the very beginning, he says, hey, hey, whatever will be, will be. And he says, I'm just trying to let you know that if this happens, it's from God. It's not my doing. They have spurned the Lord. And so this was the, the, the judgment that was given to them. And then the consequences of that were found for us in verses 42 to 50. But I want you to notice here in verses 45 to 48 that Moses and Aaron again intercede. This is the third time they have stepped up and spoken for the innocent and have spoken for the people and tried to remedy the situation. In, in verse 45, it says, Get away from among this congregation, this is God speaking, that I may consume them instantly. They fell on their face. This is Moses and Aaron. Moses said to Aaron, Take your censer and put, it in, it, put in it fire from the altar and lay incense on it. Then bring it quickly to the congregation and make atonement for them. For wrath has gone forth from the Lord. The plague has begun. And that's what Moses did. Moses did this. He, I mean, Aaron did this. He ran into the congregation. Verse 47, Then Aaron took it as Moses had spoken and ran into the midst of the assembly. For behold, the plague had begun among the people. So he put on the incense and made atonement for the people. He took his stand between the dead and the living so that the plague was checked. You can't say enough about Moses and Aaron. Were they godly leaders? Yeah. They were godly leaders because they interceded for the people. They interceded for the people. They did their best to warn the people, to turn the people. But in the end, when the people decided to go their own uh, sinful ways, then it happened. Verse 49 tells us that, in fact, it was too late for many of them. Multiple thousands of them. Verse 49. And those who died by the plague were 14,700 besides those who died on account of Korah. So that means not only was it Korah's, you know, three people, but also, also the 250, but 14,700 above that also perished. That's a horrible, horrible price. But that's what happened to, to these who challenged God. God is af not afraid of any individual, group of individuals, or even an entire nation. He will take them all out if they rise up against his appointed leaders. If it wasn't for the faithfulness, compassion, and love of Moses and Aaron, for the people of Israel, the whole nation could have been wiped out. But God spared them. Now, I want to jump very quickly to some takeaways for this. Why does a message like this need to be taught to God's people? Okay? And I wrestled with this a lot. Because I said, God, do you really want me to preach this to the people? Because, number one, there's going to be people out there in the audience who are going to think, pastor's preaching this because he's been getting a little heat. And he wants to make things better for himself. So he's scaring us. I've lived long enough and I've served the Lord long enough to know that when God's people do
Do not. Do not. Submit to God's leaders, appointed leaders. There is only doom and gloom. I've lived long enough to see that. Like, for example, okay, churches are in disarray, divided, and some might even say, in some cases, dysfunctional because the people are rebelling and resisting their God-appointed leaders. The leaders, if they are godly and if they're humble and they're God's choice, and they're trying to keep the wheels on the bus, and they're doing all they can to stay close to the Lord and deal with their own sins and so on and so forth in order to serve God's people and to serve God's work. But people say, no, we don't want these guys, just like they did Moses and Aaron. Okay? And so what happens is God's people get all wound up in arguing with, over such matters, the suitability of the leaders, the decision-making of the leaders, the results produced by the leaders, or the lack of results produced by the leaders. So we spend all this time looking for reasons not to support than reasons to support the leaders. And as a result, it causes the dysfunction, it causes the divisions in the church. As a result of while God's people fuss and feud, they do not live the faith, do not pray, do not witness, or even give as they should. And God's work and God's people are suffering because of the sinfulness of a few. Of a few. And that has been repeated over and over and over again. You see? And as a pastor, I am concerned about all churches, about all churches, that they get this fundamental principle down that God has appointed leaders that he wants and that the people need to follow them okay and so sometimes like in this situation generations may have to pass before God's work ever moves forward some churches persist and insist on not following or trusting God's appointed and may never move forward at all at all there was a church in the United States. I'm not going to name it or anything like that. But it was a great church at one time. And then somehow they got into this whole circus, this whole carnival of confrontation and complaints against the leadership. And you can just see this church just go down, 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 down. And it has never recovered since. And it's so sad. It's so sad when you see this happening Leaders need to be humble, faithful, loving, courageous, and constantly interceding for God's people. If I leave anything with you in my watch here as your pastor, is that I would encourage all of our leaders to be this kind of leaders. All right? And never forget to intercede for the people. Sometimes they don't even know what they're doing. They're out of their minds <laughs> they're out of their hearts but we need to keep interceding for them and church members need to pray love trust share support and submit to god's appointed leaders can't say that enough now does that mean i can't disagree can i want to go i want to you know i think this and think that and all those kind of stuff i want to eat curry crab and and someone else wants to eat you know the other stuff and all that yeah we can disagree on that stuff no problem 
But man, when it comes to the big things of the church, let's get behind these leaders. That's God's plan. Let me leave you with these couple of verses, please. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17, it says this, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you, it says. The verse speaks for itself. 1 Peter chapter 5, starting with verse 2. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 2. Shepherd the flock. He's speaking to the elders. Shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God, and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness, nor yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to your flock, he says. And then in verses 4, through seven, it says this. It says, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. You younger men, likewise, be subject to your elders and all, your, and all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. For God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time in my churches in Texas we had many seminary students that came through and some of them are just really talented I mean I called them rock stars you know I mean they were just incredibly gifted they looked good they smelled good they you know I mean they, they, they could preach they could sing they could do this and they could do that and so one of them came up to, you know, several of them over the years would come up to me and say, you know, Pastor, you, you're not very good, you know. And, 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 and I says, well, I know that, and so does God. And then, then they would say, well, you know, you, you ought to let us do more. We're better at it, you know, than you. And I said, well, that's fine if you want to be the pastor of the church, you know, uh, just make sure it's not you who wants it, but that God wants it. Because if you sit in my seat, you're in for it. Okay? And some of these guys have come back to me after the years. And they say, you know, Pastor, that was one of the best pieces of advice you ever gave us. Was that we wait for God's time. You see? This isn't rocket science. All God says is, trust me. I have put people in place to carry out your work. They're not perfect by any stretch of the imagination. Are there better people around? Absolutely. Absolutely. But for whatever sovereign reason, God chose them. And the best thing that we can do as God's people is to support them, to love them, and submit to them. This is what God asked them to do. He asked the children of God to do. So, in the first rebellion, God takes rebellion against his appointed leaders, his chosen leaders, seriously. In the second rebellion, he takes the rebellion against his chosen leaders very seriously. <laughs> and in the third one, he takes rebellion against his chosen leaders very, very seriously. Okay? 
So I know you came and you expected this, you know, gigantic message or something like that. You got the message during the, during the testimonies. Those were great. I'm just supplementing it, all right? But this is what God has said. So God takes rebellion against his appointed leaders seriously, actually very, very seriously. So for us, to all of us, be godly leaders, be godly people, as God has appointed. Got it? Hope so. Let's pray. Father, as we come together, how many times do we underestimate and, as it were, underlive the truth of the sovereignty of God? We say it with our mouth. God is sovereign. God has his ways. And they're way beyond ours. But when it comes down to living with one another, we fuss and we feud. We compete. We contest. That's not what you wanted, Lord. You wanted all of us to be a healthy, growing congregation growing in the knowledge and, and experience with you. Father, I pray that this message today would be a message for all of us, both leaders and members together. Thank you, Father, for the clarity of your word. And we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Our time has really passed, and so we're, we're going to forego the, the uh, closing song. Um, but I do hope you welcome in the four young men that have been baptized today. And I hope that if you see somebody new that has not been here before, that you would go up to them and introduce yourself to them. All right? God bless you, and we'll see you next week.